Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the Turnip Boy Commits Tax Evasion of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the Death Metal Guy, a.k.a. adding my pronouns to my Black Vault account. <laughs> <laughs> it's still pretty good. We talked about it before the show, it's still pretty good. <laughs> I'm just glad you're keeping them informed. <laughs> They'll all really appreciate it. Yeah, okay. and um, I am the Black Metal Guy, a.k.a. Life Hack. Infinite marmot glitch. (laughs) I'm intrigued by the potential, though I have to ask for the reasoning. You know, why would we ever need so many marmots in one place? If you have to ask, you don't get it. (laughs) And with that, we have yet another episode of Terminus, everyone's favorite extreme metal podcast. Um, So those of you that uh, read the description to our last episode uh, might see that this is going to be another double-stuffed episode uh, where we finally get to cover the Rune Magic record that the uh, uh, technological demiurge denied us access to last week. Uh, So we're going to keep the preamble short. We've got a lot of records to cover. But real quick, uh, you know, the usual housekeeping up top. Uh, social media, follow me, the Death Metal Guy, on Facebook at Terminus Podcast or the Black Metal Guy on Instagram at Terminus Extreme Metal. You can also support us on Patreon, where $5 and up gets you access to the Terminus Prime bonus episodes as well as access to the Terminus Black Circle, our private Discord server, which over the past couple days has been mostly a hub of discussion of hard techno, followed by, yes, more Time Ghoul posting. But up front at the top of the hour, we have the Black Metal Guy with a mini review. Black Metal Guy, are we going to listen to Black Metal? Yeah, actually. Oh, sick. Um, yeah, in, 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 a, in, a, in an era where uh, it's become harder and harder to find Black Metal that interests us, um, there's actually a bunch of Black Metal out now that does interest us. And this is very difficult to describe as anything else other than a Black Metal record. Uh, so, or rather, probably a, a tape. Um, this is a demo, yeah, cassette. This is a demo uh, by a project called Et in Arcadia Ego. Uh, the demo's called One, uh, you know, a Roman new, or I, a Roman numeral. <laughs> um, I'll and, consult Abath. <laughs> yes, which exactly, one exactly. Um, yeah, Abath might have some issues with that, frankly. Um and uh, you just have to avoid the litigation. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and this is released, uh, this comes out of the PABM, or Pennsylvania Black Metal Circle, uh, from whence Sylvan Throne, who we've reviewed and interviewed, and uh, Doppelaxed, whom we've reviewed, and Blinding Sun, whom we've also reviewed, come from. Uh, this has uh, members of Doppelaxed and Blinding Sun. Uh, and so it's being released in the U.S. on the PABM label, uh, released in Russia by a label called Christ. I forgot to copy-paste it from the other document, but um, it's in Cyrillic. Uh, <laughs> and, um, you know, the uh, the veteran Portuguese label Signal Rex in Europe. Um, that's a good That's a good label. I was about to say, that's a, pretty, uh, that's a pretty impressive spread for a first demo. Yeah, 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 indeed. Um, but at least they're. But the good thing is that they're not making it a. They're doing it right because they're not doing a vinyl pressing. There we go. That's right. it's, yeah, it's a, weirdly enlivening to hear in a way. Yeah. <laughs> good labels, wide distribution, but it's a tape. Yes. All right. So um, 
what does it sound like? Well, black metal. Uh, it's loosely themed around, uh, inspired by the ideas of Nietzsche. There's uh, a an extended quotation from uh, the, spake, the beginning of The Spake Zarathustra uh, that's on the band camp. I might as well read that. Lo, I am weary of my wisdom, like the bee that hath gathered too much honey. I need hands outstretched to take it. I would fain bestow and distribute, until the wise have once more become joyous in their folly, and the poor happy in their riches. Therefore I must descend into the deep, as thou doest in the evening, when thou goest behind the sea, and givest light also to the netherworld, thou exuberant star. So there, Zarathustra is addressing the sun, and he's saying he's about to undertake his own catabasis or downgoing, right, where he descends into the lower world to distribute his wisdom, which is also an outpouring from him and a kind of death. Um, it's a cool, it's a cool passage. Um, does the record have that sort of, um, you know, noble, reverent, uh, and sort of restrained wisdom? Well, the record mostly sounds like <laughs> for, for and 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 thank God's for that. So let's listen to a sample. This is Grasp of Aeon. We're just gonna rip this one from the beginning. That's about how it sounds, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's uh, it's it's it, what it really reminds me of is the uh, the final mutilation record, uh, mm. Sorrow Galaxies. Um, on that record, that's when Willie kind of like 
the last vestiges of all the jank are kind of lost. You know, he's mm-hmm. stabilized as a guitar player and the song, there's only like four tracks on the record and they're really long and they sprawl out in kind of a different way from the regular mutilation sprawl. It's like, it's, it's almost like mutilation goes dark space in a way, but mm. not, not bad as the, that implies. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there's a kind of a similar thing here where it's like, uh, well, the first thing with the super fried production, I was saying, it's like, Oh, so we're doing like industrial BBH. Um, hmm. That was where mm-hmm. my brain kind of went. Yeah, that's um, a good way of thinking. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, so I think it's kind of pulling on the strings of some like, probably a bunch of shit that like is out there, but I don't know. But this sort of fried late in period industrial black metal stuff, like late 2000s kind of stuff. Um, it's interesting. You think it really sounds industrial just because of how minimal it is? I think so. And I think, well, it's, I mean, it's the minimal pulse. It's the, like, weird kind of insistent walking bass line and the really fried guitar timbre. I mean, that's, it's not designed to sound like a regular riffing instrument at that point. Oh, yeah. It's being used in a more textural way for sure. It's like a sort of French vampiric tone that's been really exaggerated. Uh, I love the tone. What it reminds me of is uh, that Eresy record we reviewed the other week. Yeah, um, I, c- I can see that. This is obviously taken in like sort of the polar opposite but reflective direction. Yeah, exactly. Same kind of influences being like very, as you said, very French riffing style. I would also think of like the earliest Pest Noir in the riffing, mm-hmm. but like the simplest, most driving parts of it. Uh uh, so mutilation, pest noir, etc., with this um, uh, Slavic black metal kind of guitar influence in the guitar tone, yeah, and also in the song structures, right? Yeah, just uh, the just these big kind of sprawling things that are yeah. based around like two root notes fundamentally. Yeah. It's like the bass is the lead instrument yeah. here. Those but, those super simple intervals, but it sprawls in different ways because the RSC is usually these sort of expansive landscapes or really sort of epic building, uh, epic building anthems. Whereas this is, uh, in a sense, it, it sprawls in that it's very drawn out, but this is very just focused, minimal pummeling. Uh, that is the main riff there, uh, is a gloriously unoriginal riff, right? Uh, and it, it has four parts and it repeats four times twice. Yeah. Part of the novelty is that when you think it's going to stop, it doesn't. Um, <laughs> and that's the and, way to the black metal guy's heart. <laughs> exactly. And and the other thing that really makes it is that the uh, the work on the seam joining the two riffs. The second riff comes out of it really organically, like he generated it by, not by jamming, but just by like riffing by himself <laughs> until the next riff came out. Like our like the guy from Oldowan was talking about, right? Doom, 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 and it just drops heavy on the downbeat and uh, has a different enough rhythmic inflection from the first one that it makes a huge difference. Um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, and I, I love the physicality in the playing. Uh, the the blown out fried guitar production means you can hear just the you know, hear in intense strums, uh, mm-hmm. and 
It's very immediate, and that's a big difference between this and some of the other stuff I've heard from this circle, especially Blinding Sun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, which is deliberately difficult and abstract, you know, and this is very, very direct. Yes, yeah, we listened to that record, and we could, like, really, we found the songwriting really impressive, but ultimately it didn't really... Uh, it didn't really resonate with either of us because it, it seemed to have this be working with its with black metal material at one removed. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like um, the it was based on, a, I think, a mana novel. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's it, it's about a <clears throat> instead of just being about black metal stuff, it's about a book by someone else. Right. Yeah. Uh, and which has something to do with the concerns of black metal and also not. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with that sort of literary distancing mechanism, there was also right the sense that there was this immaculate, bespoke arrangement of riffs from all over the place that had this that all kind of had this atmosphere that was ethereal and eerie, but not really like a BM record. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Whereas this is extremely direct and from the gut, right? Yeah. This is, I remember you once saying there's certain kinds, of, I think in the RSC review, that there's certain kinds of riffs you can't write after you're 21. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, these guys are writing them after yeah. 21. <laughs> that, you know, that is this true, is, yeah. Th- well, something, it's it, an it, amazing it, effort. Yeah, it's intuitive. It's very intuitive writing. It's a, it's extremely intuitive, and it it's also disciplined intuition because it doesn't fly away with itself. Uh, it's satisfied by the basic building blocks of the music, which is cool. Um, but there's a lot of understated artistry going on here in how this is assembled, and part of that, you already pointed to it, it's the very cool bass work. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that the guitar has been sort of completely scooped out leaves a lot more room for the bass. Um, And in the last track, Divine Intolerance, which I think everyone agrees is a ripper, uh, is, um, uh, you can hear that more. There's there's really cool layering. Um, So we're going to start, these songs all, there's a lot of really good stuff in the middle of this song as the layers accumulate even more, but... Basically, these songs make most sense to just start from the beginning, so we're we're just going to do that.
so you could hear that that huge keyboard sort yeah, of uh, yeah yeah um and in the notes to this uh, on the YouTube upload, Rites of Pestilence connects it to to Laskovic, which I can kind of hear at least the really early Laskovic, but also to Hate Forest. And on this track, I think that's really apparent. I don't really get the uh, the Laskovic thing. Is like yeah, maybe in terms of like timbres uh, mm-hmm. and sound quality, not really musically, because Laskovic is like at least in a large part like secretly a DSBM band. And so much more complex. Um, yeah, yeah. It's like all these intricate nested things. Um, Hate Forest, though, I understand. Although another place in my brain went, which is kind of weird, would be um, the really early Nocturnal Mortem stuff. Uh, you know, Twilight Fall, Lunar Poetry, stuff like that. Uh, obviously, the synths would be way more bombastic, but the sort of like backing riffing and the, the those sort of Slavic folk rhythms they're using, definitely a lot of that there. I've never been able to listen through the synths to really appreciate those records, so I'm I'm not sure. But the uh, the the second riff there is uh, yeah right. That that's very much a, a sort of an old hate forest riff. It's on this track you can hear the riffs are built around basically like epic one to minor six coupled with uh like half step changes. Right. And yeah. and the half step changes earlier sound a little more more French and here the half step changes verge over into Slav territory. But yeah. And also just the big using the keyboard as a drone is a very hate forest thing to do. That's like what they do in purity. Definitely. Yeah, I, yeah. I could hear that but yeah, immediately. So- yeah, so there's more than meets the eye, and I think what this what what this record is remarkable for, yeah, is its uh you know, its directness, its sincerity, uh, and its commitment to the, you know, to the to, to the essence of black metal. And as much as this record frames itself around, you know, the gift-giving virtue of Zarathustra, right, the Nietzschean feeling that really comes through on this is just scorn. This is a little one gash and you're listening to Terminus. Alright, and we are back from the death metal guy doing a bunch of uh, very funny voice impersonations to uh, <laughs> review Beyond the Cenotaph of Mankind by Rune Magic, out now on Hammerheart Records. So, Rune Magic is a uh, how would you describe a death metal guy? It's a strange. Rune magic is an interesting proposition. Uh, you you mean like musically? Or yeah, musically, like, musically. Yeah, or just the vibe. Um, rune magic is a doom death band that takes being a doom band very seriously. Yeah, and I think on this album that's r- really clear. But it also sort of has, is laced through and through with black metal kind of concerns, as the name might suggest, right? Rune magic. It's it's something that would probably appeal to black metal people, often has a kind of pagan vibe to it, and its old days was extremely barbaric. Um, There's still some of that here. And it kind Um, of, it almost links up to some of those like Viking death metal ideas like Unleashed. Yeah, Unleashed is a really good comparison, actually. That makes a lot of sense, yeah. So, um, 
Yeah, h- history for the band, right? So Rune Magic was formed by, you know, the, the core member, or main songwriter, Nicholas Rudolfson, just after he had left Sacramento, where he played drums, right? But here he was switching to vocals and guitars. Uh, and um, there he released some demos as a side project during the early 90s, it looks like, basically. Uh and then didn't put anything out till The Supreme Force of Eternity in 98. Uh, and yeah, that record and the next one, Enter the Realm of Death, from just a year later, are like the definitive statements. Um, and Rune Magic was weird for me because I, I, I figured I should theoretically be really into this band, but I, for whatever reason, couldn't get into it when I was younger. Maybe I checked out the wrong stuff. Maybe I didn't have the attention span. Um, I went back to it recently because this record was coming out, and uh, Supreme Force of Eternity is an insanely good record. Uh, and right up, it's it's sort of chugging mid-tempo barbarian death doom with a lot of bolt thrower in it, but you can still hear the fact that this guy was in Sacramento. So there are sort of uh, some very uh, beautiful aristocratic cordings. There is uh, There are blast beats. And there's also a really free use of... Uh, there's no artificial limitations on that record. Uh, there's no, like, it has to be this or that way. So it's definitely not a Sunlight Studios Sweet Death record, but there are D-beats on it. <laughs> um, and uh, so there, there are simply, like, no preconceived rules. And in 98, using uh, Sweet Death D-beats would have been a statement in itself, right? Because at that point, all that stuff was long dead, right? You could see this as a reaction to both where death metal and black metal had gone and reaching back before, especially to the most sort of uh, epic and medieval of the er early doom stuff. And so Enter the Realm of Death brings that to the forefront more. Um, You in the notes were mentioning that the sense of doom here is really from Candlemass and Cathedral. Yeah, I think this is... um, I I think the the big... Let me rewind a bit. Uh, so Rune Magic mm-hmm. is, like you, a band that I was never really able to get super into, um, like in my youth. And then over time, it's like <clears throat> I've dipped back and tried it out periodically over the years, and it still never really clicked for me. And I think it still doesn't really for me as a listener, but now I really understand it and I respect it a lot more. Um, because mm-hmm. I think the whole thing with Rune Magic is like, it's a doom death band that really believes in like traditional doom metal. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that it's like it's candle mass, it's cathedral, it's trouble. It's even just straight black Sabbath sometimes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a really, which seems like a natural thing for a doom death thing to be, but you don't see very often, you know, it's like most of the doom death bands I listen to are, let's be honest, just like very slow death metal. Yeah, we we both tend to find doom death that is, or just doom or sludge in general that is too close to Sabbathy stuff or seven or you know seventies influenced hard rock and doom. We generally tend to look down our noses at that, right? But this is in touch with the very coolest wing of that sort of thing, uh, and the most sort of uh, stately and medieval. Oh yeah, no, it's mm-hmm. that's the cool thing. That's one of the things that's like. That's one of the things that it says on the tin of Rune Magic that always makes me think that I should be more into it, which is like, 
what if a Doom Death band, but it took like dark fantasy stuff super seriously and mm. committed to an atmosphere of sort of like occult spiritual warfare or something? Mm-hmm. You, you know, it's it is really cool. I think just for me, it's like when I reach toward Doom Death, I'm usually looking for something different. But this is yeah. one of those weird situations where I don't personally like it that much, but I unreservedly recommend everyone check it out. That's like a personal problem of mine. Cool, yeah. Um, I like this record. I, I think it's... I, I like it a lot. Um, it's a strange, record. Uh, it, it there's a lot there's a lot going on here, and because it's so atmospheric, especially after the second after into the second half, you can lose your place in it and drift, and then you'll suddenly have your attention arrested again. Uh, and it's uh, yeah, like it's gonna take me the rest of the year to wrap my head around it fully. But it is it's very cool. And th- the nice thing is there, yeah, there is still a ton of the dark fantasy and the barbarian warrior attitude that you get on the first couple records. I would say that you know how Lovecraft and Howard uh, sort of drew on each other's worlds in their mm-hmm. novels. Yeah, this is right at that sort of like you know. Uh, the fault line between uh, Lovecraft and Howard and, and Conan mm, yeah. and, you know, Conan and Cthulhu, right? Um, yeah, these sort of, like, primordial things that all metal bands draw from, you know, in, yeah. in some sense or another. Which is, but that's another thing I want to say is the other thing about Rune Magic is um, that it's a heavy metal band in a, in mm-hmm. a very distinct, like, traditional way. You know these are these are Doom Death songs, but they are primary they're heavy metal songs in a way that a lot of the Doom Death we listen to kind of isn't. Yes, this was absolutely like Ripakulu or whatever, or even um, you know I don't know uh, even early Anathema or something mm-hmm. does you know it doesn't have necessarily that much to do with heavy metal traditionally. Um, yeah, yeah. The um, this is, yes, in the late 90s, this was a sort of uh, reactionary statement in the vein of the early black metal. This was a go-backwards-to-go-forward band. Yes, uh, yes. And he's continued developing it. He's put out a lot of stuff. Um, I think people agree that the latter run of Rune Magic Records haven't been that in- inspired. But this one is very cool. Also, a brief note about uh, personnel and lineup or whatever. Uh Nicholas was an early supporter of Terminus when he reviewed his band, The Funeral Orchestra. So, shout out to him. Uh, and, you know, we a couple other people in his crew we've been in touch with. Um, and the lineup of this band is itself really just cool if you read the other bands these guys have, guys and girl have been in, right? Uh, Emma Rudolphson is on bass. I believe that's his wife. Um, uh, and then, um, you know, the... Uh, uh, Nicholas himself, in addition to the ones we've already mentioned, has a death metal band called Gravfractal, but he's also been in um, Swordmaster, which is, like, legendary in its own right. Yeah. Right? Uh, and uh, Heavy Death. Um, and, let's see, let's see, Jonas Blum was also in Sacramentum, uh, and in Niflheim, and in Trident, a cool band that we've reviewed once. Daniel Moylanen, right, uh, sort of Finnish name, was it, is currently in Catatonia, <laughs> uh, which is just amazing and cool. 
uh, is formerly in Lord Belial, uh, as well as the Project Hate MCMXCIX. Um, <laughs> what a blast from the past there to yes. think about that band. L- let me make sure I've got the lineup right. I'm double checking it against the band camp. And yes, I actually do. The Metal Archives is up to date. Um, but uh, but yeah, just just a whole array of, as you put it, just like lifer Swedish bands. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. uh just things that kind of stretch on in time. You know, they yeah. very, I, I, very, off, very bands, authentic underground bands, very authentic underground bands from like 30 years of history, right? Yeah, none of these bands ever break up. They just go to sleep for 20 years sometimes and then they come back with a new album, you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. So, at this point, let's get into uh the samples. Here is what the um Here's the parts of this record that are the most, I think, to the familiar ear, that are the most like what we usually think of when we say doom death, or death doom, or however you want to say it. Uh, This is what the action parts of the record are like. Uh, So this is archaic magic, parentheses, after the red sun. things start to get a bit trippier um but yeah so the that there's the main character there is that big heaving chug riff Mm -hmm. um 
And it's, you know, just this sort of like lower mid-tempo, upper down-tempo, downbeat stomp. Um, that is pretty close to modern beatdown hardcore. That could almost be on the Vamachara record. Yeah, it's also interesting, like the idiom in which it's played. Because if you if you pay close attention, you, we're talking about the da 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 da. Yeah, yeah, da 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 da. What's interesting to me about the way, yeah, what's interesting to me about the way that that's played is the uh, if you listen closely, those those low open notes, they're not chords. They're just they're single notes. It's played like a legato line, which is again a very interesting sort of like early doom thing to do rather than just turning that into like a, a crushing E power chord, you know? That's a very good point. It's more like a death metal lead, right? It's, yeah. it's more like one of those, uh, you know, single string trim leads. Yeah. And a, it seems like a lot of the riffs on this record are organized in that way. Just these sort of like single picked things. There's not a ton of trem, and you know, even the the sort of like battering open chord palm muted chugging is like present, but it's not like a domineering facet of the record. They they're arriving at their heaviness through just pure interval arrangement. For sure, for sure. Yes, that's a great point, and uh, I think the um, you're right because I call this the chug part, but it's not even muted. Yeah, but um, it, it has the same it, effect. It, it yeah. do, yes, it does what the chug part does, but it's not muted. And that also leaves a lot of space for the bass. There's a really heavy bass presence there, mm-hmm. and it's moving uh, somewhat counter-rhythmically to the uh, to the guitar. I think it's just, it's sort of, I think it's on steady eighth notes, but they're, it's, they're not, they're doing different things. Yeah, well, I think I, I think it is important, going back to something you said, one of the primary organizing principles here is bolt thrower. Um, you know, Bolt Thrower also don't use nearly as much palm muting as we think they do. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And a lot of their most memorable riffs are arranged kind of like that that opening riff to the sample where there are these simple, like, single-string legato lines rather than, you know, a big corded heavy metal riff as we might typically think of it. Yeah, that's it. That's an. I'm gonna have to listen to Bolt Thrower in 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 light of that. That's an interesting point. Yeah, no, um, it's like the, the, usually with Bolt Thrower, it's like you'll get sort of a a slight palm muting just on those um, you know, uh, single string trem riffs they'll do sometimes. But there's not a lot of like full corded chugging. It's just we think of Bolt Thrower and we think that's like the kind of thing that they naturally well, would do, but. Well, I I don't know. We're like like World Eater, Cenotaph. These are a lot of chug, but that actually in, but that actually reduces over time o- over the uh, discography. Yeah, because for you, you really like Fourth Crusade and onward. Yeah, 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 yeah. That makes sense. Um, and also, even a lot of the big breakdowns they have, um, uh, dome aren't really based on steady chug. The breakdown to Shreds of Sanity is not centered on chug. Uh, but um. But yeah, so uh, uh, yeah, that that is interesting, and so like vestigial doom and death metal, early primordial doom and death metal technique here. Uh, um, also, in another kind of vestige you get is in the 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 melodic turnaround, right? The or really any of the turn or any of the more the non pedal point parts there. The the um the guitars are working in the 
tandem guitar style of Swedish Black Death. And yeah, now, yeah. Now, it, Swedish Black Death has that in common with the Peaceville bands, which were obviously a reference point for, for Rune Magic 2 in their inception, but, like, it's drawing on this um, much older tradition of detailed twin guitar writing that you get in Sacramentum and Dawn uh, and, you know, Thy Primordial, but you also get in uh, My Dying Bride and uh, Anathema. Yeah, it's, um, it, it's sort of like... Rune, yeah. Rune magic in some ways it, it could be like all the same techniques that you would see in something like Sacramentum just scaled very differently. Mm-hmm. You know they, yeah. these these sort of like ornate ostentatious song structures that nevertheless revolve around a, a sort of like very traditional heavy metal sensibility. The emphasis on these sort of like dueling lead meets rhythm. Uh, guitar mm-hmm. lines, yeah. Mm-hmm. The the general scope and the sort of high fantasy vibe of it, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, so, I, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Go to your sample. Oh yeah. No, this actually this is really good because this links to uh, more stuff that I wanted to point out in terms of this this odd sort of idiomatic riffing that Rune Magic practices. So I want to go to the track uh, Revocation of Spectral Paths. Man, the opening riff, we're just going straight from the beginning of the song, the opening riff really reveals the the sort of candle mass underpinning the whole band, I think. Um, Now, it's arranged very differently in this doom-death context, but the interval choice, the general sense of melody, is not unfamiliar to anyone that's listening to a record like Nightfall. Um, And what I also want to point out is something that happens toward the end of this sample with this very dramatic sort of vocal sting before a huge riff comes in. And then I want to get into some some of the odder aspects of this band that I think are really intriguing.
All right, so uh, like uh, like I said, as soon as that first riff started, you could just hear Messiah singing over it, and then Black Metal Guy did a r- remarkably and suspiciously capable imitation, um, and it sounded perfect. <laughs> it just it sounded like it, it it made intuitive sense to hear like grandiose wailing clean vocals over that riff, um, and the, the 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 sort of chugging death metal aspect of it doesn't really change that at all, which I find really interesting. It's like this is Rune Magic is almost like the 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 world's first extreme trad doom band or something. Well, it, well, Candle Mass also might be the world's first extreme trad doom band. You know what I mean? Like we were talking yeah, about yeah. that with the Cromlock guys, right? That like Candle Mass is it's a good bit more serious than previous doom bands and their riffs do chug. Well, yeah, no, the, those aspects are certainly there. I guess I just mean um I don't think I've ever heard what are distinctly trad doom arrangements played with as severe timbres as this yeah no i i get it it's just sort of an intuitively interesting idea um what i also find really interesting is the uh so that that sort of like effects treated vocal sting before the the sort of pseudo breakdown happens with that that Mm -hmm. fake out waltz time riff um Mm -hmm. which is this is the other interesting thing I kind of figured out about Rune Magic listening to this record. They're kind of a stadium metal band. And not in uh, not in the bad sense that the music is like simplified or reductive or, or pop music or something, but in the sense that, especially if you look at the pedigree of the other bands these guys are involved in, they know what it's like to play on those stages. And they know what it's like to make songs with those moments of huge impact that can influence someone in the back of the 5,000 strong crowd. Um, so it's it's really fascinating. So what you have is like an updated, uh, more timbrely extreme take on Trad Doom with this authentic, you know, heavy metal stadium sensibility to it. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is that this is the record that Candlemass was supposed to put out last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's, yeah. it's literally doing all the things that that record mm-hmm. did, mm-hmm. except it's, you know, it's good. Yes. <laughs> um, and, it, it, yes, it, it is good, and it reflects the decades of uh, other things that have gone on in metal. Um, yeah, this is... Uh, do I have anything to add to that? Well, um, with the last band, we were talking about extremely intuitive gut-level songwriting. Yeah. And uh, these guys are not above it, right? In fact, they probably understand it better uh, than a lot of younger dudes, right? Mm-hmm. And it's the um, and so there the fake out is hilarious because they gesture at a do 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 that triplet, yeah, and then and it just um becomes a simplified version of the main riff right that that's their like ignorant throwdown riff um uh it, it's almost the same they make it seem like they're going to the sophisticated thing they do is that vocal sting and that fake out and then after that it's almost the same riff just more brutish yeah yeah brutish, a, not british um it could be both <laughs> yeah. So 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 the um and and the, that you know the riff you're linking to Candlemass there is so sophisticated because uh 
although the basic form they're using there is actually pretty similar to the riff I sampled on Archaic Magic. You know, turn around into chug riff. Um, they're constantly changing root notes in that pattern, which give it a real melodic arc throughout, and it, it actually walks through a just really gnarly dissonant chord progression. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's mm-hmm. a it, the death metal is certainly there, but it's death metal circa like even late 80s early 90s mm-hmm. that's still very filtered through the memory of NWOBHM. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um and this band understands they do those big gestures from an NWOBHM song or what we think of as just like classic heavy metal. They do those big gestures so much better than many bands that are attempting to play in those genres today. Yeah. Yeah, they do. Mm. So here's another one with a... All the titles on this record are extremely cool. Um, this is another extremely cool t- title. Uh this is The Storm Road Beyond the Firmament. So suddenly we're in the crypt of rays. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I like the the almost musical joke that occurs there, coming off of this like really abstract, almost psychedelic, textured, you know, dueling lead passage into like one of the single dumbest riffs on the record. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. that's really fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, and they haven't put the D beats away. They're still using the D beats. 
Uh, yeah. As it's um, so that's the thing. And I wrote in my notes is I wanted to emphasize how close all of this is throughout to Celtic Frost. Um, the bizarre sense of dissonance even is kind of close to that. Uh, yeah. If you take Candlemass riffing and push it closer to what we now think of as death metal, right? That mm-hmm. that's a lot of Celtic Frost riffs. Um, the the bizarre rhythm um, at the beginning of the sample, even though it's played with a lot more texture, it that's a lot really a Celtic Frost rhythm. Um, I don't know how I expected to hear this song title delivered rhythmically, but it certainly wasn't like that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's maybe where, maybe where the death metal in this band comes out most distinctly is actually in those like weirder, more abstract moments. Um, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's it's sort of like they're they're shooting past a lot of the most obvious death metal reference points for a doom metal band. And they're landing in the territory of like really weird stuff. Morbid angel would do. Yeah, 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 yeah. No. So that middle section, I wanted the sample to mostly focus on some of the more out, one of the more out there moments on the record, right? We're starting well into the song. It's basically the weird midsection of the song. And then we get to the D beats. We sort of lock back in. Um, but yeah, the melodies, a lot of the melodies there could be morbid angel melodies. Yeah, actually, well, thinking thinking a little bit harder on it, it's like, it's surprising how much that lines up. If you start thinking about um, tracks like Blessed Are the Sick, Leading the Rats, or God of Emptiness, mm-hmm. you, you start mm-hmm. finding a lot of parallels in the way, you know, those doom songs that morbid angel would do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, but yeah, so, okay, Morbid Angel, Celtic Frost, Candlemass, you're, st- you're starting to get a sense of bolt thrower, right? You put all those things together, you're starting to get a sense of where this is coming from. Um, but but yeah, I guess the other thing I could just say is it's really, really good adventurous riff, riff, riff songwriting right there. Uh, that, that It's constantly shifting throughout the midsection, and that's what makes the record elusive at times. If you're listening casually, in those moments it will sort of slip your grasp, but then hit you hard when you least expect it with something really engaging. Yeah, I, I think that might be one of the one of the challenges of this record is that, you know, a, a lot of this is made up of pretty similar interval choices and like the tone color is pretty similar throughout this record, Mm -hmm. which is not necessarily a bad thing. That's what extreme metal records are supposed to be like for the most part. Mm -hmm. Um, But there definitely is something about that and the pace of the delivery here that it's like it it operates in a a strange frame of attention span, I Mm -hmm. I guess Mm -hmm. is what I'm saying. It's like, it's not, you know, that thing that you can sink into like skepticism, but it's also not hyperactive listening. Like, like most death metal, you have to find Mm -hmm. an interesting midpoint between those two. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And that's what might make it. Yeah. Sort of a tough pill to swallow for a lot of modern listeners, but I think it is worth it. No, definitely. Um, So let me get to my last sample. Uh, We're going to go to nocturnal deities of winter. Um, and this is uh, another thing that really emphasizes the kind of stadium metal quality of these songs, as well as this dedication to certain 80s-isms that I really appreciate. Obviously, we're going back to traditional doom metal there, but we're also really going to like NWOBHM 
in a lot of ways. And I want to listen to this sample and talk about how I think these songs work structurally, which is pretty different from, say, uh, you know, a linear death metal song structure. So a lot of a lot of weird things happen there. I really want to draw attention to the sort of like wah guitar lead that pops up mm-hmm. toward the end of that sample, which is a, a truly bizarre thing to hear on a record like this. But it, it sort of naturally fits, too, you know, because there's so much channeling of the 70s and 80s that's going on on this record. Um, so the other thing that I think is interesting, I've got this idea um, about how these songs are structured. In that I think that they're like, when you zoom out from the the pacing and the length of these songs, you get something not too far off of a weirdo NWOBHM song structures. In that most of these songs are based around like a small handful of distinct riffs and then sprawling sections that take the place of what would be like lead trade-offs in an NWOBHM mm-hmm. uh, song. You know, um, you have these these long periods primarily composed of like intricate dueling lead work, albeit much slower than on your average heavy metal song, um, w- w- with a set of sort of rotating chord gestures that go on underneath them. Uh, It can be a bass line. It can be sort of big backing chords, something like that. But these are really structured more like vamping opportunities for these two different guitar lines before the vocals come back in, usually to a a prior riff that was already explored. 
Um, these these big instrumental sections will usually pop up in the middle of a lot of the songs on this album, and they're where a lot of the weirdest and most ambitious songwriting stuff happens. And I just, it's really interesting to me to uh, have a doom death band that is structurally like principally based on stuff that is very unfamiliar to the style. You know, the idea of the emphasis not being on, you know, one giant crushing almost mosh riff. You know, the idea that the real meat is found in these sprawling, sometimes minutes-long sections where there is no distinct guiding instrumental voice, and instead it's this this melange of, of textures and unusual reconfigurations of candle mass melodies. Um, it's just, it's, it's very unique. I don't think there's any band like Rune Magic except Rune Magic themselves.
And we are back with Dodsanger's Reflections of a Wretched Soul, out now on the uh, House of Igra label out of Vietnam, which is the in-house label of the guys from Elcrost, among others. Uh, so they've started putting out a pretty serious rash of releases uh, pretty regularly. Um, it's more than just their own bands, and this is one of those things that is not just one of their bands. Um, it is really, I think they it, also... It is but, really cool to see those guys expand so much. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy. You know, just mm-hmm. real quick shout out to those guys, because Elcross we covered, like, super early on the show, mm-hmm. and we became really tight with Huang Dao. And uh, it's just, it's really awesome to see how this has bloomed over time. Uh, hails to Elcrust. And yeah. hails to, you know, hails to House of Igra. Yeah. Um, very, very cool. They are, they're going really hard on all fronts in their local, to build a scene in Hanoi. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, one, one band that they put out recently that I wanted to mention, I haven't had a chance to check it out yet, but Leucotomy, or Leucotomy, L-E-U-K-O-T-O-M-Y. Yeah, yeah, those guys are cool. Yeah, it's sort of like they said it's like Grand Declaration of War, kind of. Uh, it's, it's got a little bit of that inflection. It's, it's more melodic death bass, though. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So um, this, though... Uh, is DSBM, which makes a lot of sense because uh, the whole House of Ygra aesthetic has a ton of goth at the base of it mm-hmm. um, uh, and is uh, often quite anguished. So um makes sense that they're putting out just a straight DSBM record. Um, they promoted this one to us as having influences from Migla and Nyctalgia, right? Uh, these being... Um, DS, these being DSBM and DSBM adjacent bands that they know we like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, M- Migla, right, that's that's half of Migla's sound. Um, uh, does it sound like those? Well, maybe in places. I get the sense that what happened with this band was that it started out as a very straightforward DSBM project, and then partway through... Uh, you know, I don't know, maybe the maybe the Igra guys put him on to Nyctalgia or something like that, right? And he started to want to compose stuff that was, while still depressive, uh, had a more um, grim or sort of traditionally black metal vibe to it, right? A little yeah, more you, of that epic sensibility you get in Migla and Nyctalgia. You definitely, you get that sense more as the album progresses. I'll go out on a limb and say that I think these songs were written in the order that they are presented on the album. That makes a lot of sense. And yeah, often it's not till after you're done with a project or as you're finishing it, or not a project, maybe just a release, you realize, oh wait, uh, this is what I really want this band to be about. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, you can definitely hear a transformation over the course mm-hmm. of this record. Like the influences change, the the particular songwriting vernacular changes. It's it's an interesting little study. Right. So we start out with the longest track, "Long Dream," ten minutes, which is just um, one sort of nails on a chalkboard dissonant chord progression after another. Um, or, but not too many of them. I wrote in the notes. It sounded like thorns. You said. Uh, Zaster. It, it sort of, it, it really reminds me of Zaster stripped away of some of the production excesses of that project. So it's like, it's kind of interesting to hear 
Zaster style arpeggios delivered in a relatively straight manner that aren't mm-hmm. just like swathed in, you know, a bucket of delay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, but w- once you're familiar with, when you're already familiar with those chords, there is, uh, if the center of the song just is delivering those chords in a, in a sparer form, listeners who've already listened to Zaster and various kinds of DSBM are not, uh, not going to have a lot to get their hooks in. And, and Zaster, in addition to chords like this, also had a lot of kind of uh, soured melodic riffing. Yeah, a lot of Zaster stuff is rooted in, like, weird USBM tradition, but also just, like, ugly French stuff. Yeah, yeah, mutilation and Judas Iscariot and stuff, yeah. Yeah. But, but anyway, so I think where we agree that where it gets really interesting is maybe a track or two after that. Yeah, the this is a record that takes a little bit of time to bloom, uh, which is one of the reasons that I think this is probably like composed in the order that it's presented on the record. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and it's it really feels like the project sort of gets its feet under it um, a few tracks in. So in terms of the stated influences, Nictalgia, a little bit, mostly on the last track, and we'll get to that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Magla, yeah, um, especially like early Magla, if we're talking about like Groza type stuff, mm-hmm. um, in, in that, at least in the sense that like both of these bands are really interested in sort of goth influenced arpeggios as like a central organizing feature. Um, but I would say that the, the band that this most immediately sounds like as the album carries forward is make a change, kill yourself from Denmark. Um, who are kind of a, they're, they're a band that exists in like a weird position in DSBM in that like most people know the name, but very few people actively listen to those albums. And there's a reason for that because they're like extremely dreary and ugly and miserable, even for DSBM. They're, they're, uh, they're, they're super, um, they're very like wretched and self-mutilating type things. Mm-hmm. Um, but that sort of extends to the rest of the Danish DSBM scene, which is sort of defined by like, it's sort of more raw and primitive than a lot of DSBM. And it's based off these sort of looping hypnotic song structures that, which also apply here. Um, so that is one of the distinguishing features here, which is the atmosphere, uh, which is really not concentrated on like, sadness or depression as such rather than like a a sort of abject apocalyptic misery uh this is a this is an extremely gray record um really kind of infused with a big dose of contempt and self-hatred and bitterness and a big this also applies musically because there's a big streak of sort of second wave ideas melodically that end up becoming very important to the record. Um, you know, the, like, like we're saying, if we're going to assume this is presented in the order that it's written, we're starting off in like kind of oddly presented but conventional DSBM territory. And then more and more traditional black metal, at least melodically, finds its way into the band while still operating at these sort of miserable, trudging DSBM tempos, which is really interesting. Um, so for a first example of that, let's go to the track Penance, the uh, the third track on the record. Um, so let's just listen to this, uh, and let's listen for these uh, second wave melodic ideas 
ensconced within this DSBM method of presentation. And I'll start comparing it out of sort of left field to uh, some bands you might not expect. So when I listen to that, it's obviously presented in a DSBM context, but the place my brain immediately went to when I heard this track for the first time was Avski, which is a band that you and I both really like, which is interesting because Avski is primarily known for doing this really caustic, slightly thrashy, like straight ahead Swedish black metal, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, but up tempo stomp. Yeah. But especially on the first couple records, uh, there's a lot of these more stately sort of doom laden portions and they Mm -hmm. sound a lot like this sample that we just played. You know, they've got this sort of like slowly dawning apocalyptic vibe that I think is pretty cool to apply in a DSBM idiom. Um, I really like the, the sort of like unraveling lead guitar stuff that happens across this whole section, starting with just this insistently held droning, like double octave note before it starts to descend and starts to move around its own space. I wish it was a little bit louder in the mix actually. So it competed a little more directly with the rhythm guitar. Yeah. The really interesting stuff is always happening on the second guitar. Like the initial riff is cool. It has that sort of like that big epic ascent. And then uh, that, nastier turn at the end but the uh as soon as like you get to the second repetition of the riff in that sample and the layering comes in there's a huge difference Uh, yeah 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 like the rhythm needs to be there but the main show is what he's doing to modify that basic riff with the other guitar yeah and that's that's an that's like a, a classic dsbm idea which is you know 
rolling out this very simple riff that's just based on a handful of strummed chords and then like you said really modifying its context with elaborate lead guitar stuff happening over Mm it um and that's really cool and that starts to happen more and more as the album progresses but my brain for some reason when i listen to a lot of this stuff and what i think is interesting is that Apart from, you know, the aforementioned Zaster and Make a Change, Kill Yourself, most of the immediate comparisons I have moment to moment aren't other DSBM bands. You know, it's making me think of stuff like Avski, or it's making me think of like early Watain, you know, like first record Watain, or it's making me think of even like really early Kraft. Um, mm-hmm. it, this has this sort of like dungeon black metal vibe that is really interesting. And this is a kind of DSBM we used to hear a lot more in the 2000s before it got sort of flattened out by Post Black. Um, This idea of crawling and miserable but not romantic uh, depressive black metal. And it's, it's really cool to hear someone sort of channeling that idea again. So speaking of dungeon black metal, let's listen to this very doom-inflected moment from the end of Consumed by Absolute Loss. Whoa, 
suddenly this is a very different band. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very well, – what's interesting is that it's like using basically the same material as you'd hear anywhere else on the album, but to a radically different effect. Well, yeah, very very different harmonic uh, – very different harmonies going on, yeah. So um, the uh, – so, so the, you, were, you were noticing something – I guess the earlier phrase we should talk about, the doom, doom, doom – you were pointing out the strange bass line, right? It was almost like a sort of – country western bass line yeah he's just doing this sort of like alternating plucking of the power chord but it gives the whole thing this very strange cabaret quality just one five one five dun, 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 dun. Yep, it's like yep. a deliberately bad bass line which staggers backwards against the continuous trem on the guitar uh, and works together with the drums, which are sort of trip over each other at the end of every measure. Uh, yeah, so, I was about to say that there's some very strange things happening with the drum programming there. Mm-hmm. Like, like, there's really good drum programming on this record throughout, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's a, there's really unusual... This I like this passage a lot. It has that, like, slippery, drunken, miserable quality of... Uh, what was that um, that Japanese funeral doom record that we covered a few weeks back? Kanashimi. Yeah, yeah, it's that's the vibe that I get off of this. It's got that same sort of like drunken just before dawn misery to it. Du, 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 du. Yeah, I, I feel that. I was actually thinking of Kanashimi too. And so that whole passage plays off the trade between the moments where the drums and bass are holding the guitar back and where it locks into the classic DSBM double bass roll, right? Mm-hmm. And puts the throttle down a little more. Um uh and then we just get those huge dropout moment, and suddenly it shifts from, uh, you know, these simplified mutilation chords or whatever into uh, the nobly sliding two chord or two string chords of the Franco Finnish style, right? Except at their root, what it really sounds like is those is early Gorgoroth. There. Yeah, yeah. That like da 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 Dum 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 dum. I'm I'm not humming it right, but those are. It really is like some of the slower stuff on the first two Gorgoroth records. You know those better than me. Is there any particular reference point? Oh yeah, I mean, the pagan megalith or under the pagan megalith. The one that I immediately go to is a ritual off of Pentagram, which is a. That's funny. That was like the first. Excuse me. The first black metal song I ever heard as a kid that like grabbed me where I was like, ooh, I want to look into this. It was Ritual by Gorgoroth. It was just like, ooh, that's really that's that feels bad, but good (laughs) at the same time. (laughs) I mean, yeah, those is the sort of initial triplet, the the pickup. It's it's really resolute and noble and is an entirely different mood, although it is still very bleak. Uh, and at that point, the vocal performance changes. It's like he gets more conviction and suddenly doesn't feel worried about the fact that he's making goblin noises. And, it's kind of <laughs> uh, and, 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 and because at that moment, the riff is so good that he really believes in himself and, and the riff. And you get this awesome sort of bark or snarl in one of those lines. Did you catch that? Yeah, I did. Well, there's a, there's a lot of interesting, subtle stuff happens there where um, 
So you keep that that walking dyadic bass line pretty much the whole time, and you've got these sort of warbling tremolo riffs. But at one point, um, of the two rhythm lines, the one rhythm line, it, it's hard to hear, but it stops tremming, and it just sort of does these insistent quarter note chords, but palm muted mm-hmm. against the river of the trem. Super, super interesting arrangement choices. Uh, it really adds a lot of like rich detail on the micro level to this album. That's before the epic riff comes in. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, uh, um, yeah, I think it's, it is interesting, but it, what we keep coming back to is this direct relationship back to second wave black metal and not seeing DSBM as distinct from that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, no, I think a lot of the the DSBM, at least we both agree on, is stuff like that. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's uh, the the thing that makes post black uninteresting is that it removes the black metal from DSBM. You can also hear some austere in the last riff. Um, that, yeah, that sort of da da dum uh, lead in tur- turnaround lead in. Uh, when I was listening to the austere, I actually thought. Oh, this band's like Ramalama mid-tempo riffs must have influenced both Migla and like the bands around them. Like, there's a related band that I really like called Ashes that sounds a lot like Austere, I think. And this is the this this moment, this whole that whole sample, even the more sort of uh, uh, diffident riffing at the beginning, all kind of reminded me of Ashes, which is mem- live members of Migla. Oh yeah, yeah. I think you've uh, I think you've played them on the show before. I, They're pretty. I mentioned them a few times. It's a very cool band. Yeah, yeah. So I, so in keeping with the theme of this, um, you know, this record possibly. I'm going out on a limb, but I'm like pretty certain. Um, you know, the idea of this being written and presented in order. Um, it's sort of like you're listening to the growth of an artist in particular mm-hmm. across mm-hmm. records. Like you said, it's like this is where you're starting to arrive at this real certainty and conviction for the music. You know, it's these aren't these sort of early experiments. Like a, a, a direction has been decided upon. And that comes out super clearly on the final track on the album, The Garden of Suicide, which is just like far and away the best song on the album it's absolutely it's it's like a it's bizarre it's like a standard deviation above the next best song on the album and basically the songs on the record just get better as the record proceeds um this is where a lot more elaborate sort of uh, melodic color comes into the music this is where you start to hear more of that magla more of the nectalgia and i think pretty distinctly thy light who are um, a band we've covered on the show before, but have sort of become a dark horse classic band in DSBM just off the strength of like a handful of records. Um, This is the song that I think should be the foundation for this band in the future. And I think that it will be, you know, I I think this is the sound of everything really clicking together in a compelling way. So let's just go to the middle of it and (laughs) just see how this band just takes off.
And there, everything comes into much clearer focus. Uh, it, it's funny because we've been talking back and forth about Austere, who we just covered a few weeks ago. And there you can like really hear it. Like Even the same sort of structural conceit we got on Corrosion of Hearts, the idea of these sort of explosive Dorian riffs rising out of these, uh, these, these dense morasses of minor key arpeggios. Uh, it, it's got to be coincidental mm-hmm. just because these were released so close to each other. But it's like the same general idea. Um, the Nectalgia actually comes out clearer than I realized before because the lead at the beginning of this sample is like a slight rearrangement of one of the main leads off Exodus Letalis, which is the final track of the Nectalgia self-titled record, um, which is just probably my favorite DSBM song of all time. So, yes, please, yes, rearrange riffs from that all day. Um, <clears throat> but really, the thing that works here is just the music is denser. There's more going on. Um, I appreciate the sort of like 16 times played DSBM trudge as much as the next guy. But I think this guy feels more alive and more electrified when this music is in more constant motion. Um, A lot of stuff happens there and it's all really cool. He sets up and pays off big moments with a really sort of confident practiced hand here. Um, and it just, it, it seems like, you know, the first four tracks of this were kind of like the demo. And then this, th- this is the band. Yeah, there's a really cool way he structures it, where especially if you listen back to it, having already heard it with the expectation of the big drop at the end. Um, the, uh, the the initial riff that that sort of nictalgia phrase right is mm-hmm. is a lot more um that that's already pretty pretty epic um in a more sort of downcast way but then they, right that's already a fairly consonant riff um and then there's a that sort of there's like drop out cra- symbols and some gloomy arpeggios which have some of the migla vibe mm-hmm. uh and it's used to drop in what's a lot again a lot more like a doom riff and it's much more dissonant and much more kind of like much more listless um it sort of trudges trudges through these waves of doom and then suddenly you get the next dropout which is identical and at that point the big soaring riff comes in and another thing I want to point out is that that riff is twice as long as you would expect it to be based on every other riff you've heard on this riff. Oh, yeah, because, um, he, you know, he shoots up the octave for the second half of it. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, it he could easily have wrapped it up in half the time. But he realizes that the initial statement is just a phrase that's part of a much longer melodic idea. Uh, it, it's a moment where suddenly he really lets something breathe, and it, you know, it, it's just sprawling and majestic.
All right, bro, let's glute this schwer. <laughs> I, I think with the actual agglutinative word, it'd be more like schwering the blute. Schwering das blute. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, yeah, yeah. well, we are back with Those of My Blood by Blutschwer, uh, out now on Final Agony Records, Death Hymns Records, and the British label Rabbit Attack Corps. Um which is somehow connected to things like Hotchin Pit and uh, Antisocial Culture England. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, so, uh, this is a band that has made a pretty big splash on the underground and is popular with our fans, or listen, calling them fans is so stupid, popular with our the people who listen to our show. <laughs> um, popular with our supplicants. <laughs> <laughs> with our yes, catamites. Um, and that, <laughs> Yeah, and that that I heard of, I, I I heard the the demo or whatever a couple of years ago, and it's like, hey, this is pretty cool. But it's only now that I've sat down and listened to a full record. Uh, um, basically, this is a guy who's very embedded in the modern underground and likes a bunch of things about it. Uh, it's like he, um, you know, we always say that there are things that modern bands are doing to access that, like, were good in the bands that influenced them. Yeah. And I think this is someone of a similar mind, right? He's really embedded in the nowadays sort of pagan or chivalric underground. And so this has a ton of the florid, consonant, basically accidental pop style that we uh, derisively refer to as friendly cat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, stuff like Roster Chester or what's the other one? Eyes and Winter. Eyes and Winter, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and, and it's sort of everywhere due to the influence of a few riffs from Vothana. Um, and, uh, and and so he's, he's part of that nexus. There's a lot of stompy RAC black metal here and and, and all that. However, he's clearly looking out of that scene uh, and trying to... Uh, he understands the limitations. I was about to say that. I was about to say he understands the inherent limitations of it. Yes. God damn you. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he understands the... Um, we, were, we were saying. <laughs> um, we're holding hands right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, like, yeah, he's... He likes the... He likes that sound, but he likes the things, and I think he's more interested in all the bands that influenced that sound. Uh, and he's trying to bridge this back into uh, back into a more robust black metal or blasting solar metal template. Um, so he's influenced by the usual French and Finnish bands. Do we need to list them? Probably not. Uh, th- this yeah. this record is like presents its whole thing very clearly just through the aesthetic is like exactly what you expect you know however there are yes however there are a few things that you wouldn't expect right so one he seems quite also influenced by the uh sort of more romantic german black metal Mm-hmm. which is consistent with the Teutonic theme of the record. So stuff like the Wad Van Circle, especially Nagelfar. Um, a lot of this record evokes some of the more intense moments on Nagelfar. Probably also Odal for some of the brighter melodies. Mm-hmm. Um, and although he's invested in the poppy RAC thing, he's following that and black metal back to their common roots in hardcore. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that really struck me about the demo was that he was playing these um, sort of uh, bold, epic melodies with actual power chords, which yeah. gives them so much more grit. And they're over one, two beats, right? So he mm-hmm. was playing sort of, uh, you know, heroic black metal riffs in a hardcore way. Um, and without... Uh, and with the kind of more rough-hewn disconnect between chords that you don't usually get from the sliding Franco-Finnish stuff. Um, yeah. And in general here, there's a lot more focus on extremely fast blast beats and aggressive tremolo attack. Yeah. Essentially what you're saying is, like, my main thesis of the record, which is just, like, <laughs> kind of like you said, dragging Friendly Cat back toward black metal. Like, like... Mm-hmm. <laughs> something something so bizarre has happened um with the whole friendly cat thing and now the thing is like i actually like a lot of that stuff but i i like it because i love you know goofy poppy skate punk you know uh i've always thought it was um i i I remember the first time i saw someone post about like eisenwinter being grim raw black metal and my brain almost fell out of my skull because it sounds more like no effects than any black metal <laughs> um, so now, but but I get the appeal because these are all things that I enjoy. I like you know stompy oi stuff. I like uh, really melodic black metal, and I like pop punk, and I like a lot of bands that do that fusion. But what I don't like is how quickly it got away from black metal entirely. I mean, even you know, looking at some of the stuff on Grimestone Records, like Bloody Keep or something, it's like yeah, I enjoy it, but is this really the direction that we all want to go in? So. The idea of Blutchfer is basically, in short, what if Roster Chester was like an actual black metal band? <laughs> yes, um, yes. And the the results of that are, one, good, and two, shaped differently from what you would expect, because I think you and I both agree that the strongest moments on this record really are consistently the ones that are most just like mainline melodic black metal. Yeah, the ones that sound like, you know, uh, Nagelfar or the most aggressive parts of old Hourlock records or something. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, um, the, and it's done very successfully. There's extremely fast, aggressive, and chaotic drumming, which is really cool and and, and helps the blast parts immensely. And the, the RAC songs are basically throwaways. Uh, Blood-Soaked Rhine gets to the big poppy sing-along way too soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's basically like, I almost feel like he's speaking, he, he's just like, he knows this is what the people want, so here it is, plebs. Right? Yeah, you know? it, it definitely, it, it's weird yeah. because, you know, usually what these bands are best at are those just like big RAC hook anthem mm-hmm. things. But here, those are really sidelined in yeah. favor of like the more complex and like technical stuff even. Yeah, the other one, what Those of My Blood is the other one that's... Yeah, the title track, it just sounds yeah. like a brutal attack song, basically. <laughs> yeah, it's and, and it also sounds just like a, a pop punk song. Um, yeah, 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 and and those are pretty. Those are really not where the center of the music is, uh, and I think I I think he knows it, and this album knows it, and you know you can, you know the blood soaked rhyme chorus is cool. You can enjoy it for what it's worth, and then you're on to Sambian Grave, which is a whole different kind of track, uh, 
And you know how I always say I like the songs where every riff is the good riff and they just <laughs> go into each other one after another? Yeah. And that you can do epic, consonant, noble riffs without compromising aggression? Mm-hmm. This is exactly what I mean. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Like this, this is this is what Friendly Cat is supposed to sound like. But but I don't think it is Friendly Cat black metal at this point. <laughs> Any sufficiently good stuff in that vein, we don't call Friendly Cat. Which is like <laughs> that being said, to to clarify, I really like most of those bands we talk about. I have a lot of fun with Eisenwinter, and I think Ross Rochester is like legitimately good. It's just like kind of inherently silly at the same time. I, th- I think, to, I like Total Vernichtung for what it is. It's just yeah, like, yeah. Well, emo oi, right? <laughs> <laughs> emo oi is good, yeah. Yeah. But the, um, but but this is just, uh, I, the closest it gets to that style is in the brighter melody at the end, but um, this is a lot more like a Spite Extreme Wing song or something. Right? Yeah, yeah. It, 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 at least in the sense of like, like hyper clarity, you know. Yes, extreme clarity of of riff idea, sort of. Yes, uh, sort of jagged or cl- Man, it, this is a little more smoothly flowing than Spite Extreme Wing, but yeah, very clear shapes moving at hurtling speed mm-hmm. and extremely tight writing uh, and uh, virile melody. Right. So let me talk about that first riff. So that that's such a great feel, right? That um, it runs through three separate phrases and it shifts between picking styles and harmonies. So first, you get that straight long note legato trem. That's what we'd expect. Like, okay, chivalric riff, Franco-Finnish riff, right? At the end, it turns around into a power chords. Turns around into power chords, which is pretty cool. You're not expecting that. Um, and then we get into that pulsed section. I don't know. You know, they're duplets or something. It's almost like a hammer on, right? Except it's being played not in not as overtly a folky way. Uh-huh. Sort of squiggles crazily over the over the blasts. Um, and that part's. 
And well, and then after that, right, we switch into a full-on major chord voicing, right? But it's ratcheting up the tension. Uh, it doesn't give us any sort of like poppy release. Uh, it's it's back to the legato, except it throws in one of those duplet bends in the middle of it, and then rockets up the fretboard. Um, and so it avoids the thing that you often fall into in a when you're trying to write turnarounds, where it sort of falls off, recites, falls off, recedes, or sits. Uh-huh. Um, in, and and then it just it it escalates. And then dives, just drops like an like a hammer back down into the first phrase. And if there's any resting point in the riff, it's that. Um, I know you've said I really like riffs that end on a very different note from where they start and then mm-hmm. drop back in. So this is a great example of how I like turnarounds to work. Yeah, well, I mean, you got this is this section I was thinking about sampling myself uh, when I was mm-hmm. doing my notes because it's obviously just a standout. I mean that. That second to last major chord riff is one of the best on the record. And while we were listening to it, uh, I immediately made the comparison to, oh, surprise, surprise, Take. I'm sure you're all tired of it, but I'm not going to stop saying it until the first three Take records are considered just like essential second wave classics. Um, But there's something similar that happens there, which is the thing that I always associate with Take is this like spirit of adventure, sort of like, um, yeah, like, like. Very good. running as quickly as possible on the the snow on the fjords and looking over the landscapes and seeing the infinite potential stretching out from there. Yeah, yeah, and that's the Standing same feeling on the I get. Prow of your longship. Yeah, exactly. It's like it, it's it's not um it's not immediately like aggressive or hostile, mm-hmm. but it's possessed of like a virile exploratory energy. Yeah, yeah the way it opens up, it slows down, opens up. Doo, doo, doo. He keeps changing the root note. It keeps unfolding. Yeah, yeah. It's really neat. And and then, you know, you get that massive cresting moment as he shoots up the fretboard for that high octave. It's it's super cool. I mean, that's that's one of those riffs where it's like, you know, we could talk about just the construction of that riff for 20 minutes. Okay, so we've talked about the first riff. And we've the, the real fast, squiggly, blastering riff. We've talked about the third riff, which is that expansive toke part, mm-hmm. adventurous part. What we haven't talked about is the middle riff, which is lit. Yeah. <laughs> this is a great example of, of this is a great example of how to write gorked pagan black metal. You just starts going right. This is the main riff is part of the ode to joy. Right, he's he's taken out, uh, he's cut and pasted out part of the counter melody in the Ode to Joy. Right, he gets a. It's just manically repeating part of this romantic symphony with power chords over archgoat half blasts. And it's it's so cool. Yeah, well, I mean, the retarded Beethoven riff is also like um, it, it, it's just thousand swords. If Rob could play guitar at that time, uh, yeah, for sure. Or really following the voice of blood, which is a little brighter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but 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 similar. It's like I, I yeah, but he definitely couldn't play guitar on that one either. <laughs> well, no, I, I I've started to really piece together the sort of like there there is a. <laughs> 
I'm going to like figure it out on guitar, but there is some sort of like er pagan black metal riff. I can hear it in my head and I know that it's your favorite riff of all time. <laughs> I just <laughs> don't know that it's been written yet. It's just, it's a cluster of like four looping folk notes that, very drunkenly and awkwardly stagger into and over each other. And you should play it like simultaneously on three guitars at slightly different tempos. And I think that's, that's, that's the only music you need for the rest of your life. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably true. Yes. Um, so yeah, uh, obviously that's awesome. And, uh, of note, it's like that is an entire section, one of the biggest ones on the record, that has nothing to do with any of these sort of like stompy punk influence stuff. I mean, punk, you know, by by relation, distantly, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's go to um, let's go to the following track, which is my favorite on the record, called "Vengeance." Um, and here, uh, uh, an interesting little trick is pulled where this one, uh, we're going to play it right from the beginning. This one starts with like a big burly RAC riff, but it's only used as a launch pad for these distinct sort of um, German meets French black metal riffs afterwards. Um, another point of comparison for this band is the uh, foot record that we covered last year uh that was released on old mill it was like a mm-hmm. re- it was like sort of hyperspeed absurd very jangly and very interesting um and it also seems kind of directly referential to uh Paseism in the way that he arranges some of the rhythmic configurations in these riffs it's super cool and it would I can hear Paseism for sure it wouldn't surprise me i mean Paseism has sort of become this weird dark horse highlight of this scene. Um, and it wouldn't shock me at all if these guys listened to it. Um, so let's check out vengeance. And the moment I heard this, I was like, okay, we're locked in. This album's really, really fucking good.
You see, and we even closed off with one of those like retarded Graveland riffs that you love so much. Well, it's, yeah, but but so if you take the retarded Graveland be Graveland riff and have it played over blast beats and in four four trem by capable musicians, you have a Nagelfar riff. That is um, true. That is fair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and there are a lot of cool droning Nagelfar riffs like that on this record. Um, that last riff was really cool, but let's talk about the shit you want to talk about before it. Oh, so, well, so opening riff, um, opening riff is just straight, you know, RAC riff. You know, the sort of thing we've heard before, but it is of inherent quality you know it's, it's good it's yeah, just it's good. fun yeah but i like that it's not a dominating part of the track it's just used mm-hmm. as a launch pad it's a big exciting opening and then bang we're just we're rocketing off second riff is um a, a very distinctly sort of passeism arrangement in that uh that sort of light agile playful lead guitar uh, against the more furtive, darker rhythm mm-hmm. texture. Mm-hmm. And also the the thing that really got me on the Posseism comparison is ending that loop with that that staccato triplet, that dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, which is a thing that Posseism does all the time. It's like a weird little idiom that they're really into. Um, but then following that is that really ornate, winding, beautiful, sort of Takeish riff that That's that's so fucking cool. That's that's like that's like an all-timer riff for me. I'm 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 gonna learn that on guitar just so I can show it to my friends and shit. Um that is so good. And Again, like, this is a band that it's like, it sort of presents itself as this sort of like, you know, stompy, hey, we like absurd sort of band, but it's like, dude, the best material on this record, and clearly where the center of gravity lies, is in surprisingly complex, you know, agile guitar music. Um, it's, It's so fucking good. You know, it's like there's moments on this record that really compete with, you know, all the best stuff that we've had on the show. Yeah, at its best, this just sounds like all my favorite bands. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, like, like, and you know, yeah, and what it really has in common with is noble blasting black metal from the late '90s through the early 20-teens. Yeah, and it's um, mm. it, it's 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 so weird because like it's so intensely good. It sort of has that gravity well effect where you're kind of like. The RAC stuff, you know, the, that stompy stuff almost feels like leftover in the wake mm-hmm. of like the scope of the the more straightforward black metal tracks, which is like the exact opposite of what you would expect from a band like this. Dude, also, we got to talk about the second part of that riff. There's, there's, uh, it's hard for me to hum. Something weird happens there where, uh, instead of the turnaround you're expecting, which is kind of a sweet resolution, you get, dun 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 dun. Yes, yeah, you get this like, a dissonant major. Like, there's a dissonance effect produced by just some straight up bright major melody that cuts in on the second guitar behind it to finish the phrase. It's uh really really cool and it's like something you would hear on a symphony it yeah there there's a lot of interesting stuff that happens i was listening to this uh in my car earlier today when i was doing some driving and it occurred to me that it's like the difference between 
a French and a Finnish and a German melodic black metal riff is it, it's not how the riff starts. It's how it ends. It's how it resolves its mm, melody. Mm-hmm, and there's mm-hmm. these like distinct mm-hmm. intervallic choices that allow me to like pick it out of a lineup. And these are all very distinctly Teutonic. And I think yeah, that's that's yeah. one of the primary things that separates this is this sort of like because we've talked on the show about how Germany has never had like a totally distinct black metal scene of its own. Mm-hmm. But if you start listening to a ton of German bands, you sort of peer through the cracks, you know, German melodic black metal can so easily get swallowed up by some of its bigger contemporaries like Finnish and French that sometimes you're missing the things that make it uniquely Germanic. And all of those things are present really heavily on this record, and they're executed phenomenally well. Yeah, he's influenced by the big three of the French chivalric scene, right? Probably like Arlac, Veamos, Passeism, if we want to make them the third, right? Mm-hmm. And But like he's, uh, he doesn't get swallowed in that at all. And there's always, I, I like, even on the phrases that are most like that, uh, they uh, they have this distinctly Germanic note to them. But that's a, that's a very good point. He, well, yeah, a, he, lot of, he, a lot of this yeah. record sounds like a horn record played at triple speed. Yes. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, it's got that alpine With a lot quality. more harmonic depth, right? Because Yeah, yeah, certainly. But they're, they're, that's another band that's dealing with a, a similar set of influences, like old pagan black metal, modern melodic black metal, and some stompy RAC stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then these guys are doing it and taking it in a different direction. And then I think part of what makes this so distinct and what makes it so promising is... Um, if you peer past the, you know, the deliberately clattering production, the guy's just a really fucking good guitarist. He's just really yeah. skilled and has a ton of tonal control with his mm-hmm. left hand, um, which, as we've seen recently with a lot of the more technical French melodic black metal coming out, does add a substantial dimension to this music, and it shouldn't be ignored. Total Teutonic Tonal Control. <laughs> that's that's the name of my uh, my uh, my new uh, Wumpscut cover album. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, we've got some more samples. Um, All right. Yeah. Well, both of us uh, end up sampling off the uh, the final track on this record before the outro, which is <laughs> the outro is great because it's just a, a a little like Midwest emo song, and I think it's it's directly referential to Roster Chester because they've been. There's a couple of the records where they're sprinkling just these like pretty acoustic Midwest emo songs. I, I really like it. Uh, yeah, I know, but for me, it's it's fun. Uh, so this it's, is the track. It's inoffensive. Of, this is the track "Tears of Ermensoul." Um, and for for my notes on this one, I just made the meme of the uh, the stressed out kid with the bulging veins in class with the caption: "When you haven't played a Galal riff for almost the whole album, uh, because." There's a part of you listening to this whole set of influences. It's like, okay, when does the GBK or Arakos Lent come in? And I have to admire the insane restraint to wait until the very end of the record to whip it out. Um, And when he whips it out, he goes whole fucking hog. We're zero to a hundred with like, you know, jangly evil Americana riffs and just like distinct heavy metal within black metal riffing. Um, So it's like, I give you some of the lead up, but when it hits, you just know it immediately. Mm -hmm. 
you know, just thinking of it in the abstract, I, I, I wouldn't say he's the best, but is there a black metal guitarist with a more distinctive guitar style than Galal, where you can just pick out like a riff that would have come from him from like a mile away? No, it's extremely unique because it's got this developed from, uh, you know, a lot of very different raw materials from the Europeans, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so this is this is the big suite where finally we get the the sort of like um, ode to GBK and Arakos Lent that you've been kind of anticipating for a lot of the record. And what they do with it is interesting because they don't just go for like a giant Arakos Lent hook riff or something. They do... They elaborate on some of the more complex interstitial material uh, of of Galal's bands. Um, and I especially like the, the final version of that, the third one at the end of this sample, where it goes even further into the past and it starts plucking at the sort of the 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 Black Sabbath underpinnings of a lot of Galal's riffs. Because that reminded me really distinctly of stuff off Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. Maybe a song like A National Acrobat has some arrangements like that. Just these ornate spiraling sort of proggy arrangements but placed in this um this kind of grooving shuffle it's it's a super cool part of this song and i think uh i i, I think that it's well i mean it, it just further clarifies what i'm talking about this guy being a super sophisticated guitarist and that that sophisticated guitar playing is and should continue to be like a a cornerstone to this band in particular well, that last riff is the kind of riff that if he kept playing it would have totally lost me. Um, like, you know, I'm not a, like I'm not in terms of the album, but like right there, like I don't I don't love that riff. It's way too hard rock for me. Oh no, yeah, um, I get it. Yeah, but but in the context of the song, it really works. And there was no moment where I was like, oh gosh, they're they're galaling all over the place. <laughs> Oh, uh, man. <laughs> Galal all over the place. That's the name of my new sitcom. Actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's the name of my OnlyFans. Um, <laughs> uh, but, um, uh, yeah, yeah, Terminus Listener Discount. Uh, just, uh, <laughs> the, um, but it's, uh, but, it, yeah, so it's a kind of riff that in isolation maybe I would find kind of annoying, but it's, it, the riff before it is really cool, and in context, it, it it's one of these. It has this hard rock Americana feel, but it also kind of fits into the more sunlit Teutonic forest vibe of the record, and especially yeah. of this part of the record. Um, there's he does a good job of not making it jarring, even though, as you say, it's a very prominent gesture when it happens. Mm -hmm. right? Um, and more than that, um. It has to do with how this song is structured. So basically, Tears of Ermansul, right, commemorating the world tree that was chopped down by Charlemagne. Um, Tears of Ermansul is uh, Blutschwer's Triumph of Death, right? That, that like the Hellhammer song. Mm -hmm. Riff by riff, it is. This is a long song. Uh, it's maybe the second longest on the record. Uh, it's it's an epic. It is. Uh, it's very. Uh, it's very emotional. Um, and riff by riff, it is completely incoherent. Um, you get lots of jarring shifts between styles. Uh, you get fluctuations in tempo, which seem to happen when they realize they need to slow down to play something. <laughs> right? Uh, like It's like the Hellhammer slowdown, I think. Um, however, there's such a clear overall mood and vision that it just instantly wins you over. Um, 
And the fact that there's a lot going on becomes a plus. Um, it's, a, it's, it's a really engaging song to listen to. And, uh, you know, um, here's just, I'm just going to extend the sample from where the death metal guy left off. So that last riff is the main riff of the song. It returns to it at the end. Mm -hmm. And that that kind of uh, lilting, pensive, uh, spiritually stretching melody uh, is, that's very in line with some of the more Germanic influences here with Nagelfar or Odal or something. Um, but on this track, you've got these beautiful romantic melodies just colliding with slashing power chords stomp and big blast sections uh and you know some people might find that a little jarring relative to the expectations of quote unquote melodic black metal as it's become known right which is just black metal mm -hmm. uh and you know it, it's there, there's something that's very different from the the uh, often often these days much too smoothness of this sort of flowing stuff um it's got a lot of like rough uh rough abrupt transitions which are almost like uh which are almost like after all these years blutschwer is finding his way back to interrupting dark throne riff <laughs> 